On April 24th, in Sass Institute versus Iancu, the Supreme Court addressed the question of whether or not the Patent Office must resolve all of its claims in a case or choose to limit its review to only some of them when inter partes review is initiated. The court found that contrary to prior USPTO practice, the board may not limit institution to only some of the challenged claims. Finnegan attorneys Corey Bell, Joshua Goldberg, and Kevin Rodkey join us now to discuss what happens next. Josh, what does this mean for pending inter partes reviews? Well, let's break that down into two buckets, pre-institution pending IPRs and post-institution pending IPRs. For pre-institution cases, the board has indicated that although it is not clear that SAS requires institution of all grounds, as opposed to just all claims, the board is going to institute on all grounds or no grounds at this time. According to the board, that's just a policy decision, so it could change in the future. Turning to post-institution cases, we've been seeing the board issue supplemental orders adding back into the cases those grounds that were previously denied institution. The parties can then cooperate to determine how to adjust the schedules and briefing in the cases to account for the additional grounds. Alternatively, they can request rehearing of the supplemental orders to waive the addition of the grounds. Surprisingly, the board has also indicated it might issue supplemental orders reversing institution decisions and denying all grounds in some cases. For now, many petitioners and patent owners are taking a wait-and-see approach rather than forcing the board to issue a supplemental order. But because the board indicated only that it may issue supplemental orders, it could make sense for at least one of the parties to reach out to the board for guidance on the matter particularly if they are approaching a key due date or deposition. This is true not just for pre-hearing cases, but also for post-hearing cases and even those in which a final written decision has issued. According to the board, it will entertain requests for reconsideration of final written decisions if some grounds were not instituted. Kevin, who's going to benefit or be harmed by these changes? Well, I think that's going to depend on how the board actually institutes the guidance under SAS. So as Joss mentioned, we're moving along with pre-institution and post-institution cases, and the board is going to either institute on all claims and all grounds or no claims and no grounds. And depending on how that works out, I think it's going to either benefit petitioners or it's going to benefit patent owners, depending on the specifics of each case. So as one example, everything's going to be determined in one proceeding now. And it might be at the PTAB if they institute on all claims and all grounds, or it might be in district court if they deny on all claims and all grounds. And in those cases, I think you'll see a benefit to petitioners when it's in the PTAB and in the office, but you'll see a benefit to patent owners if the institution decision is denied and it moves back to district court where they have a higher burden of proof for proving invalidity and you get the presumption of validity of the patent. I also think you're going to see a little bit more discretion in denying petitions under sections 314 and 325 which again has some benefit to petitioners in that they can avoid kind of a piecemeal challenge at the district court and at the PTAB when we used to have partial institution decisions. And this also benefit the patent owners where now they can get all their claims decided in one form, whether it's at the PTAB because all claims and all grounds are instituted or it's in district court because all claims and all grounds were denied institution. And then the carryover is going to be that there will be a stopple in the district court if the claims are found patentable because everything is decided in the PTAB. So I think this is going to be a situation where, depending on the specifics, it could benefit petitioners, it could benefit patent owners. But what we're really going to see is 
more consistency across the proceedings because they'll be in one forum. And we're not going to see the kind of piecemeal validity determinations that we've been seeing in the past where some claims might be decided at the PTAB and some claims might then later be decided at district court. We might start seeing less institution decision guidance because the PTAB might only talk about one claim. And when we get less guidance, that's sometimes a benefit to petitioners because it doesn't tell the patent owner where to focus their arguments, but it's also a detriment to petitioners and patent owners precisely because there's less guidance from the PTAB if that's the way they choose to implement this. So we'll have to see if the PTAB moves forward with the same level of guidance that we've been seeing or they scale it back. Corey, how does SAS change patent owner strategies? Well, it changes patent owner strategies in a lot of ways. The first thing that it's really going to require a lot more thought on is preliminary response strategy. So in general, we're probably going to see a lot less preliminary responses or at least a lot fewer challenges to dependent claims because, as Kevin and Josh mentioned, the board only needs to find a reasonable likelihood of success for one claim. But there may still be cases where the parties are actually going to fire all their guns at once and challenge lots of dependent claims because the board has indicated that if there are lots of reasons and lots of grounds that they don't think it has merit, they may actually outright deny the proceeding as a whole. I think that's probably going to be the rarer case. Also, you know, some people may consider making more arguments because if the board does provide guidance but still institutes on a claim, that really could help a patent owner with settlement. So another strategic consideration for patent owners is going to be whether or not to agree to withdraw claims. The board has mentioned that it will let parties, at least for now, agree to withdraw grounds that were not previously instituted from a proceeding. So the patent owner is going to need to consider and balance the benefits of narrowing the proceeding versus the potential estoppel from keeping that ground in the case. Josh, how does SAS change petitioner strategies? The main change for petitioners is going to be right up front when they're actually putting together the petition. In the past, it was fairly common for petitioners to include a few grounds that they were really confident in and thought could make it all the way, but also to include a bunch of extra grounds that maybe they didn't think were going to be super successful at the PTAB, but they thought that they would be denied institution. And because of a federal circuit case named Shaw, which indicated that grounds that were denied institution would then be available in later district court proceedings, there would be no estoppel as to those claims. This was a way of protecting some of the arguments to use later. That now is a strategy that's no longer going to work because if the board is instituting on all of the grounds or none of the grounds, then you're going to have estoppel as to all of the grounds or as to none of the grounds. So petitioner is going to be better served by putting in only those grounds that they really want to get instituted. This is additionally important because the PTAB, if they're faced with too many grounds, could take the view that the proceeding is too complicated and for that reason alone deny institution of the entire thing. So again, rather than including lots and lots of grounds, it's going to be more important for petitioners to be very selective and only include those grounds that they really want to move forward with. To the extent the petitioners have more grounds than they think the PTAB would be willing to institute on, they may also seek to reduce the number of grounds in the petition for this reason. In the past, oftentimes petitioners would file multiple petitions when they had too many grounds to address word limits. 
but now they'll also be doing so in order to avoid having the board deny institution for too many grounds. Kevin, what implications can SAS have in co-pending litigations? So I think there are probably three that stand out at this point in time. One of them is what Josh just mentioned, the avoidance of Shaw and petitioners previously putting several grounds into a petition, and then when someone denied, re-raising them in litigation. Now we're going to see where, having all claims and all grounds instituted, that ability to use Shaw to try and fix grounds that the PTAB had denied is probably going to go away when it's in one petition. That may leave open the possibility for multiple petitions where one is denied, like Josh just mentioned. But I think we're going to see where using one petition to get a couple grounds denied that can then be re-raised and fixed in district court is going to be mitigated because of the extra cost of filing an additional petition. Something else that we might see is more stays in IPR proceedings. Right now, stays of the district court are fairly common in CBM proceedings after institution because of the strength of the statute and the regulations for providing for stays in CBM. But in IPRs, we often saw them denied because some claims were instituted and some claims weren't. And now that we are going to have the PTAB institute on all claims and all grounds, I think we might see more stays because of that. And when you get a stay of the district court, it lets both parties focus on the proceedings in the PTAB. And we'll also see, as I kind of mentioned earlier, most of the validity challenges moving to one form or another, whether it's in the PTAB because of the institution or the district court because of the denial. The other thing I think we could see is we might see more challenges moving back to the district court, where previously we saw a lot of people and a lot of defendants raising challenges at the PTAB, litigating some claims because of partial institution, and then litigating the rest of the claims in district court. If the PTAB denies institution, we're probably going to see those challenges move back to the district court wholesale because of the one-year bar date for IPR. By the time you get your six-month institution decision, you're likely past your one-year bar date. So it could have the effect where, again, we're going to see the polarizing of either all of the validity is decided at the PTAB or it's going to be decided in district court. And finally, Corey, as the PTO and the courts interpret SAS, what do you see as some of the potential open questions? First, because some IPRs have been instituted partially on a grounds basis, we are going to likely see challenges to the board's authority to partially institute on a grounds basis. Second, I can see parties getting into disputes on whether estoppel is created when they jointly agree to withdraw grounds from an IPR after the board has instituted. This is because estoppel is created based on grounds that are raised or reasonably could have been raised during the IPR. Third, there is likely going to be disputes in already instituted matters regarding waiver of partial institutions because the board has indicated that they may argue waiver in some circumstances. Fourth, because the board has said that it may withdraw institution in some already instituted proceedings, we'll probably also see some challenges to the board's authority to do so. And finally, fifth, we're going to have this issue come up when parties raise a ground that is potentially not under the board's statutory authority. What is the board going to do with that? Will they institute on the things that they have statutory to institute on, or will they just deny the proceeding as a whole? Our guests have been Corey Bell, Joshua Goldberg, and Kevin Rodkey, attorneys at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.